We turn to read in the Word of God, the book of Ruth, chapter 2. We'll read the whole of this second chapter, this biblical short story, which is so densely packed with wonderful, wonderful lessons from the Lord about what it means to know him and to be saved by him. Page uh, 268, let's hear the word of God from the book of Ruth. And uh, a reminder that um, the chapter begins with Ruth and her mother-in-law Naomi having arrived back in Bethlehem for the beginning of the barley harvest, which would roughly be uh, towards the end of the month of April, early barley harvest there in the land of Israel. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field, Or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping, and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then Ruth fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to Boaz, Why have I found favor in your eyes? that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner. But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate 
until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had get, had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. That is, it says in the footnote, around 22 litres of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I worked today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Brothers and sisters, do turn particularly back to verse 14 for our focus uh, this morning. At mealtime, Boaz said to Ruth, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. Today is not the first Lord's Day of this month of March, it's the second. We're breaking with tradition in having the Lord's Supper today. Why? Well, one reason is that last Sunday was a particularly busy Sunday. We had a feast of another kind last Sunday. Uh, Many of us were here to enjoy that last Lord's Day. But even more than that, it seemed to me that today's passage, today's Bible reading, could not be more appropriately marked than with the Lord's Supper that we will have at the end of this service. The text and the bread and the wine, they go together like hand in glove. Hope you've seen that already, and you will see that as we look at it for a short time this morning. What we have here, I suggest, in this text is... The Last Supper, and the feeding of the 5,000, and the eternal marriage supper of the Lamb, all rolled into one. 
in this verse and in this passage that we have in the second chapter of Ruth. Let's get straight into it. I want to see three things this morning which jump out from this passage in the book of Ruth. First of all, we see Ruth's privilege. And then we will see Ruth's fullness. And then we will see Ruth's redeemer. And let's start with the first of those. Ruth's great privilege and ours. Boaz says to Ruth at mealtime, in the middle of this hot day, slaving under the sun in the barley fields around Bethlehem, he says to her at lunchtime, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain. I will never forget the top table at my old school. For three years of my life, I used to have my meals at school in a 14th century barn. It really was. The beams, some of them were original 14th century beams. I remember the smell and the feel of this place. And as you walked up the steps and queued for your lunch, you went past the top table on your way to collect your food. What was the top table? Well, the teachers never called it the top table, but some of the boys certainly did. And who were these boys? The captain of the first 15 rugby team. The captain of the first 11 cricket team. The captain of the athletics team. The heads of house. The senior prefects. The blue-eyed boys whose blonde hair would flick back into place at a jerk of their head. The boys who, when the girls walked past them, they would kind of swoon and fall to the ground. That was the top table. I never got within about six or seven tables of it. If I'd tried to do so, I'd have been given some fairly dirty looks. What are you doing here, Eula? You know your place. I would never have dared to sit among such august company as the top table. We all know what it is to be excluded, to not belong, to feel that we are not quite good enough for certain company. They think we're beneath them. We can even know what it's like to be shut out of some conversation You don't belong in this circle. You don't understand the kind of things we're talking about. Go and find some corner to sit in. You don't belong here. Ruth was expecting that when she came to the harvest fields of Bethlehem. And we've already seen her amazement in verse 10 of chapter 2. Boaz speaks to her. Boaz has made arrangements for her. Boaz is protecting her, and she falls to her face on the ground and says, Why me? I'm a foreigner. I'm a widowed woman. I'm a newcomer. I am, in your eyes, an unclean Moabite widow. Why do you take notice of me? 
And then we see her, amazing, her amazed gratitude in verse 13. When Boaz speaks about how he has heard about her story. And, he says to, and she says to him, I've found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you've comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Why, oh why, oh Lord, are you treating me like this, Boaz? I've said, Lord, he is a Lord to her after all. He is a man of exalted status in her eyes. But it gets better in verse 14, doesn't it? When Boaz says to Ruth, come, sit with us. Here's some bread. Here's some roasted grain. Here's a wine dip for you to dip your bread into. It's soothing, it's refreshing, it's delicious. Sit with us. Join the reapers. Join their company. Let me serve you. And can you imagine Ruth's response? It's her first day of work in Bethlehem, and she's no doubt pinching herself, saying, can this be true? Is this only a dream? That I am enjoying table fellowship with a wealthy Israelite landowner who is himself bringing a plate of food around to serve me? A little later on in Israel's history, another honored and godly woman would sing a song to the Lord that really puts into words what Ruth no doubt is thinking at this point in her own life. And I'm thinking here of Hannah, the mother of Samuel, just a few chapters further on, who speaks about the Lord and says this, He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. And that is how Ruth is feeling right now. Who am I? How wonderful this is that I should be in a seat of honor. I, who this time yesterday was only just crossing over, as it were, the uh, threshold of the land, making my way in trepidation and fear and uncertainty with my mother-in-law into this unknown place. And here I am, sitting with this kind man who is showing such concern for me and accepting me and welcoming me. Now, where are we going with this? The dipping of the morsel of bread in the wine is a most evocative picture, isn't it? For those of us who know our Bibles, where does it take us? It takes us to the Last Supper that our Lord Jesus himself hosted with his disciples. And there he was the host. He was the greater Boaz. And around him were, if you like, the reapers, the disciples, feasting and eating and drinking with him. But let's go further than that, because on my right and on your left is another table. And it's the same table. We call it the table of the Lord. And the Lord says to you and to me, come and eat and drink freely. Why would we eat and drink? We can eat and drink in our own homes, can't we? We already have this morning with our croissants or whatever we've had for breakfast. Ah, but this is the table of the Lord. When we eat and drink from this table, 
We are sitting down with Jesus Christ himself. This is his meal for his people. They belong. They are invited. That is, however small you are, however poor you are, however weak you are, however unworthy you are, however sinful you know yourself to be, And if we know ourselves well, we know ourselves to be the most poor, the most weak, the most undeserving, the most sinful of all people. That is what we need to understand. And like Ruth, we say, though I am no one, though I fall with my face on the ground when I see how great and good the Lord Jesus Christ is, yet he invites us to this table. You see, we're not only needy, We're desperately sinful. We're not only poor like Ruth, but we are polluted and guilty sinners. We're not only outsiders from a nation, from a land, from a language, from a tribe. We are by nature estranged enemies of God. But to such as us, Jesus says, come, come and eat, come and drink, come and sit with me. Come and join me. Come and be my brother, my sister, for I am to you an elder brother, and I am the host of this meal, and you are invited at my pleasure to come and enjoy that privilege. With Jesus Christ, there is either no top table, or every table is the top table. There's no top and bottom with him. We sit with him, and he welcomes us. Ruth's privilege, and your privilege if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, to eat with him, to drink with him, to be part of his household and his family. But then there is another great, uh, great thing we see secondly here, which is Ruth's fullness, her fullness. Look at what she now does in the second half of verse 14. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. I don't know about you, but I get the distinct impression as I read this that Ruth had probably not had a really square meal for quite some time. She'd been traveling. There'd been famines all around that country. And now she comes, and that lunch is a a roast dinner for her, if you like. Roasted grain. But she sits, she eats, and she's satisfied. She's full She's not felt like that for a very long time. And she's got some left over. Does that remind you of anything? Eating and being satisfied. And having some left over. There are many places where eating and being satisfied are joined together in the Bible. Psalm 22, the afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Psalm 107 verse 9, For God satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. But where else do we see eating, being satisfied, and having some left over, I wonder? Anybody going to tell me? The feeding of the 5,000 and and the 4,000. Don't forget the 4,000. There's some left over, you see. Not just the 5,000, there's a leftover 4,000 as well. Do you remember those accounts? 
5,000 people. That's just the men, by the way. There might be 15,000 of them all there together. And they all ate. And they were satisfied on five loaves, on two fish, that the Lord expands and multiplies to feed that immense crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples took up 12 baskets of the broken pieces left over. That's the 5,000. Then there's the 4,000. Happens again. Just one chapter later in Matthew's account. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. You might say to me this morning, it's just a coincidence, isn't it, really? You know, there's a bit here in Ruth 2, verse 14, about eating, satisfied, left over. And then, then feeding of the 5,000, 4,000, eating, satisfied, left over. It's just one of those verbal coincidences. It's just the way it's kind of worked out. And I'm bound to ask the question, well, is the Bible just a kind of random collection of writings with no purpose and no shape to it at all? Of course it's not. It's the Word of God. It's all given by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. And God intended that you and me, that we should see this connection here. The Lord is the one who satisfies the hungry. They eat and they're filled and they're left over. There's food left over. It takes us back to another great account. We're thinking about this this morning with the Sunday school class, the older Sunday school class, the adults, that is. Uh, How the Lord rained down manna from heaven in a barren wilderness. And the people ate. And they were never, never hungry. And the Lord is the one who took his people into that land flowing with milk and honey. And here is Ruth. An outsider, a Gentile, this is the thing that we need to understand, somebody with, with no claim, with no entitlement, with no sense of being worthy, but she arrives in this land and on her first full day of work, there she is, and she's being filled and satisfied by the goodness of the Lord. Do you see the Wonderful connection with what's gone before. Go, go back to the end of chapter 1. And there you read, we did this a few weeks ago, Naomi returning back to the land. Uh, and she says in chapter 1, verse 21, having said how bitter she is, she says, I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Really, Naomi. Not for long, Naomi. In a few hours, she'd be full as well, wouldn't she? And in a few weeks or months, as we will see in time, even fuller. Because what happens after lunch? The narrative continues. Boaz is the most extraordinarily generous uh, lord of this harvest field towards Ruth. He says to her, let her glean even in the middle of these sheaves that you, are, that you are binding together. Actually, do more than that. Pull some, 
pull some stalks out and pull them out of this one and throw them on the floor and give them to her and shake them out and give her as much as you can and don't stop her. Let her glean a a harvest in one day. And off she goes at the end of the day and she's, I picture her, I'm sure they didn't have wheelbarrows in those days, but maybe they did, I don't know. I see her with a great big wheelbarrow through the streets of Bethlehem, 22 litres heaped high of this grain of this barley that she's carrying. We understand that that would be the equivalent of about two, two weeks' pay, two weeks' labour in one day that the Lord has blessed Ruth with. And she goes home and she shows it to Naomi. And I wonder if Naomi says to her that evening, I'm still called Mara, by the way. Don't call me Naomi. I don't know about that. She's beginning to be filled, isn't she? She's beginning to be filled with the goodness of the Lord. Let me give one physical, practical application at this point before I go on to my final point. We are well supplied with food, aren't we? Perhaps we're oversupplied with food. Go to Sainsbury's down the road. Yesterday was the first day in my whole life when I have ever seen a set of shelves which are empty. Uh, The food was still there, mostly, I think, but other things were beginning to disappear for various reasons we could speculate on. But my point is this. We are very well supplied with food. Who knows what the Lord is going to do with other shelves in supermarkets in the future, in the near or distant future. We have a veritable array of riches to choose from from our supermarket shelves. You want to buy some... You want to buy pizzas. Well, there's 25 different varieties. You want to buy... You, you want to buy cereal. Well, there's 57 different varieties. You, you want to buy dog food. You want to buy cat food. I remember hearing about a, a man who had been in India, I think, or some country uh, where in the past there was hardly anything for the people to eat. And he came to this country and he saw huge aisles of supermarkets given over completely to dog food and cat food, and he wept at the sight of that. He said, in my country, the people are starving, and here you pamper your dogs and your cats. There's something not quite right there. Now, I'm not trying to put us all on a guilt trip. I'm just saying, I'm saying this. Are we not fantastically well supplied with food? Do we give thanks to God for our food? Do we, do, we, do we just stuff our faces and say, yeah, let's, let's eat now? There's, there's some food in the fridge. There's food in the cupboard. There's, let's bung it in the microwave. Nip down and get it. I do all these things. You do all these things. I'm not saying I, I don't get takeaways. I don't put food in the microwave. I don't have a bowl of cereal at 10 o'clock at night. I sometimes do. I love it. But my point is, maybe all of us, All of us need to remember that the Lord is fantastically generous to us in the food that he gives us. That's the physical food application. But I've got one more point that we have to make tonight. Uh, Tonight? It's not that long, is it? This morning. Almost. Ruth's Redeemer. Ruth's Redeemer. 
And now we are in the home of Naomi, from verse 18 onwards. Here is Ruth with Naomi, showing her all the barley that she's gleaned. And as we picture this scene, we should sense the awestruck, gobsmacked amazement and emotion of Naomi in particular. She sees these 22 litres of grain and she bursts out. Blessed is the man who took notice of you. I wasn't expecting this. All this food for one day. For you, a gleaner, not a reaper, remember, not one who is hired and employed to collect and gets wages, but one who picks up the little scraps that are left, and you've got this lot that you can scarcely carry back home. Blessed is the man who took notice of you. But it goes further than this. Ruth says, as if butter wouldn't melt in her mouth, Oh yeah, the man with whom I work today is called Boaz. And I think Naomi at that point falls off her chair in absolute thunderstruck bewilderment and disbelief. Boaz! You mean Boaz? Then she bursts out again. May he be blessed by the Lord. Now, what kind of person is Naomi? I think she is above all a faithful Israelite soul. She has her ups and her downs. She feels sorry for herself one day, but when the good thing is brought by the Lord, she rejoices. May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. How rapidly, how suddenly everything's turned around. This is beyond my wildest dreams and prayers, Naomi is thinking. I know you went out this morning saying that you might... You might gather grain in a field with somebody with who, in whose eyes you might find favor, but what favor is this? What favor is this? But then she goes on, and we must hear what Naomi says to Ruth then in verse 20, at the end of verse 20. The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. One of our redeemers. And this is the first of several places where the word redeemer or redeemers or redeem appears in the book of Ruth. And I don't want to go into this in great detail this morning, but just give you the basic, the basic idea of what a redeemer was. What does it mean? What does Naomi mean when she says to Ruth, Boaz is one of our redeemers? Well, it works like this. The land of Israel was a land that had been given to the people of Israel by God. It was his gift to them. It was his inheritance to them. Everything about the history of their occupation of that land showed that God had given it to them. And then in the time of Joshua, different parcels of land had been apportioned throughout Israel to different tribes and clans and families. But just supposing, just supposing a family fell into hard times, 
What? Would that just be tough and you have to leave your land and go elsewhere and sell your land to the highest bidder and sorry but that's just tough, you need to go? No, no, God made provision. And we read in Leviticus 25 verse 25, 25, 25, these words. God had said this to the people of Israel. If your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest redeemer shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. In other words, if a man became poor, penniless, destitute, had no way of surviving, or if for some reason they were driven off the land, then what would happen? A near relative would come and would take possession of that land, would buy that land, would ensure that the property, that the territory, remained in the name of that family in the future, so that that man's family name would not be blotted out from the land of Israel and from that particular place. Now, I don't want to think about that too much more this morning. I want to leave Boaz, and I want to think about our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. What does he do? Well, here's a comparison. In the land of Israel, a Redeemer, a kinsman, a kinsman redeemer, a close member of the family, might have to part with a significant amount in order to redeem, to, to, to save, to ransom, to rescue, to restore a poor individual, a poor relative, a poor family relation. It might cost him dear. It might endanger his own welfare as we see later on in this book of Ruth. But let's think about what our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, parted with. What did he pay? What did he give? He gave his body. And he gave his blood. He gave his life. And he gave his soul. He gave himself. You look with me at this bread and this wine on this table. The Lord Jesus Christ himself has commanded that these physical items of food and drink should be before our eyes and then in our hands and in our mouths. Why? Because our Lord Jesus very much believes in visual aids like any good teacher. Not just visual aids, tangible aids, sensory aids, things we can see and touch and feel and smell and taste. And he says to us, I gave my body, I shed my blood in order to redeem poor, penniless, destitute, guilty, lost, miserable you and me. That's what he's done. He broke the bread and he poured the wine on Thursday evening. And his disciples were, to some extent, no doubt, mystified and puzzled. What is going on here? But Jesus knew what he was doing. This is all 
an enactment, a dress rehearsal of what he's going to do in just a few hours' time when it won't be bread being broken. It'll be human skin and human flesh and human tissue and human tendons and ligaments, but not bones, being torn. And it won't be wine being poured out of a flask and shared round people. It will be blood from his veins and arteries and capillaries being being shed and running down from his hands and feet and side. Why? 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 To claim you back for himself. To redeem your soul and your life and your body forever and forever. Though we do not deserve anything but God's wrath. Jesus does the work of a kinsman redeemer. And if he does so, then we, like Ruth, are privileged. We are privileged to sit down and eat at the table of the Lord. To sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, as our Lord Jesus says. Many will come from north and south and east and west. They'll come from the British Isles. They'll come from the Far East. They'll come from the Americas. They'll come from Australasia. And they will come and they will sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and Elijah and the disciples. And they'll sit down with Jesus himself and they will eat. And they will be on that table that fills the world. But additionally... Because Jesus does the work of a kinsman redeemer and he pays his body and he pays his blood and he gives his life and he gives his soul. Then we, like Ruth, are satisfied. Satisfied. In a way that physical food can never satisfy us. You think of David in the wilderness in Psalm 63 and he prays like this. O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I'm hungering and I'm thirsting, and I'm not simply physically hungry, physically thirsty. It's bigger than that. I'm hungering and thirsting for you, Lord God. And then he goes on to say this in verse 5. My soul will be satisfied. As with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. This is the testimony of a man who hungers and thirsts for more than food. Maybe not many of us in this room have known what it is to be really, really hungry, really famished. Having some, maybe some of you have, from some parts of the world, I do not doubt it, but I never have, to say I am absolutely, we sometimes say, don't we, I'm starving. I've said that many times in my life, I'm starving. What a lie that is. I've never starved, never going to starve, I don't think, but you never know, do you? But I'm not talking about physical food, I'm talking about I'm talking about the Lord himself because all of these things are meant to point us to what is our ultimate need of filling and satisfaction. It's Jesus Christ. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. 
Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He's the better food. Jesus Christ. That's why we open the Bible here every Lord's Day, morning and evening. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the soul's true food. Eternal food. Our great desire, our great satisfaction. And there's plenty left over. That's why we want those outsiders to come to the same gospel feast and sit down at the table with us. It will never run out. It will never run dry. Not for us, not for anyone who comes. Because what we are doing today and what we will do in a few minutes is another rehearsal, another anticipation. The marriage supper of the Lamb that all God's people, all those who are Christians, all who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, will be with him and his people forever in glory. And everything that's good about food, feasting, fellowship, privilege, fun, enjoyment, camaraderie, fullness, satisfaction, taste, feeling satisfied, rejoicing together, everything associated with having a wonderful time in this world in the best possible way will be fulfilled and surpassed in ways that we cannot understand and cannot envisage. And yet the center of all of that will be that the Lord Jesus Christ himself is the one who gave himself for us. He gave his life for us to fill us and to satisfy us forever and ever. Let's pray together. O oh Lord our God, you have made this gospel feast for us. You have sent your Son. Food and drink in this world is but a, an emblem and a picture and a, a reminder and a foreshadowing of every good thing that we have in you. Apart from you, we have no good thing. Lord, teach our souls this. Teach us, Lord, to see beyond our physical needs. Lord, we give you thanks and praise for the food we can enjoy. But, O oh Lord our God, we pray that we would, we would labor more and more for the food that endures forever, that does not perish. Lord, come to us. Open our eyes and our hearts to understand and to receive all of these things. We pray in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ.